Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. For those who don't know you, don't, don't know you. Of course, everybody knows you. For those who don't know me, my name is Matt, and I'm the pastoral resident here. Uh, excited to be here this morning. We're going to continue to walk through the series that we've been in for the last few weeks. We're actually on our second to last uh, week on the way of wisdom. And today, we're going to be talking about integrity. So as always, what I'd like to do is invite you to stand as I read the word. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 25. And it says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And we can stop there and you may be seated. When I started working on this sermon and I identified this particular passage as the one I wanted to use as the primary passage. What immediately popped into my head was the balance beam. And when I started thinking about the balance beam, it made me think about when I was a younger boy, elementary age, and I had PE class. Every once in a while in PE class, the the teacher would pull out the gymnastics equipment. And to be honest with you, I didn't like those particular days. I was sort of okay with the vaults. You know, a thing where you run as fast as you can and you jump on that spring-loaded board and you put your hands down and you like propel yourself into some crazy flips or twists or turns or whatever. And when you're like eight or nine, it doesn't matter if you fall on your head because you just bounce right back up again. But you can't do that now, so I wouldn't do the vault now. But what I hated the most is when we had to do the balance beam. And I didn't like it because there's one thing that I lack and that is balance. And so I was always afraid to get up there because I knew as soon as I got up there and as soon as I stood up there that I was going to fall down. And the teacher would tell me to take steps forward and I would fall. And I'd get back on there and he'd say, take steps backwards and I would fall. And I was always scared to death that eventually I was going to fall and knock my head on this really hard, big wooden beam and knock myself out. Now, when I got older, I came to find out exactly why it was that I struggled with the balance part. When I was in my early 20s, I had a job, and I had a very minor medical episode one day when I was at work. But because it happened at work, they kind of got a little freaked out, and so they called an ambulance, and they came and picked me up and brought me to the hospital. And there, they gave me an MRI. And as a result of those MRI, that MRI the MRI, I had to go see a neurologist. And when I went to see the neurologist, he looked at my MRI and read it for me, and basically this is what he said. He said, the part of your brain that controls things like balance and coordination is unusually small. (laughs) Now, you don't want any part of your brain to be described as unusually small. But that makes sense. It that makes sense because I don't have much balance. And in a moment, this thing that we have here in front of me, which is a practice balance beam, I'm going to walk on this. And if I fall off, you know what my excuse is. Right? Now, 
You're probably never going to see me dance, but if you ever see my dance, you'll know what my excuse is for that as well, because it affects both those things. Now, so as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I called up a friend who goes to this church who was a gymnastics coach and actually let me borrow this. And I also watched a whole bunch of videos on YouTube about how to walk on a balance beam. And there's something, a couple things that I learned. If you want to walk on a balance beam, there's two things that you really need to know. One is where to fix your eyes, and the other is what to do with your feet. All right? So what I learned is, is when you're on the balance beam, you're going to walk on it. What you want to do is you want to fix your eyes on the end of the balance beam. You don't want to be looking down at your feet, and you don't want to be looking up, obviously, or to the left or the right. You want to focus on the end of the beam. But then with your feet, you don't want to walk flat-footed, and you never want to walk heel to toe. Now, you can walk on your toes, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you can also walk sort of ball of your feet down to your heel like this. And so if you have your eyes focused in the right place, and if your feet are walking correctly, then I should be able to walk on this narrow path. So let's give this a shot. This is much more nerve-wracking when people are watching me, I'm going to be honest. Okay. Now this, you're thinking, this is not a big deal. Look how low that thing is. But this is like the greatest victory of my life. All right. Now see, I'm pretty shaky. But now, even when you're walking backwards, you're supposed to keep your eyes looking forward. Okay? That was a little bit more shaky, but it's okay. I'm still on it. All right? And so that's what it's supposed to look like. Now, for the dismount. So normally... Normally for the dismount, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a round off into a double backflip. But, but Kevin put the speaker right here, and I can't do that with that, so I'm going to do a more basic one. Okay. Now, if that routine was not a 10 out of 10, I can be honest, I don't understand the sport at all and how, and how they do that. All right, so let's... Let's, let's take that illustration now and let's connect the dots over to our passage. Because just like when you keep your focus and how you walk on the, just like where you keep your focus and how you walk maintains your balance on the beam. So just like that, and this is the big idea. My big idea for today is this. A right focus and a correct walk maintains your integrity. I'll say that again. A right focus and a correct walk maintains your integrity. Now, I say that, and you might be thinking, well, that's easy to say, but you just read some verses at the beginning of the sermon, and it did talk about looking straight ahead, but what am I supposed to focus on? And what does a correct walk look like? And on top of all of that, if it really just comes down to where you're looking and how you're walking, why is it that so many people fall all the time, including Christian brothers and sisters? Why do we fall from integrity? Well, the good news is this. We're going to share two thoughts today from the book of Proverbs that are going to address all of those questions. But before I get into that, what I want to make sure first is that we all understand what I mean when I say the word integrity, since that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
When we read the book of Proverbs, we see integrity in, in a several places. And sometimes that word can be translated as blameless. We also see some synonyms for integrity, things like upright or honest or innocent. And so when we see integrity in Proverbs, we get a sense of it having to do with our behavior, but it's not just our behavior, it's our behavior that's rooted in a pure heart or rooted in pure motives. There's a consistency between what's going on inside of us, what's going on in our heart, and the behaviors that everybody can see on the outside of us. It's our character. So with that in mind, here's my definition. I'll read this a couple times. Definition for integrity is sound character that adheres to strongly held biblical moral convictions. If I was smart, I would have put that on the screen. But I'll read that again. Sound character that adheres to strongly held biblical moral convictions. All right, now that we've got that straight, let's move on. So where do we keep our focus? All right, here's point number one. We must keep our focus on the fear of the Lord. Going back to verse 25, it says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. So going back to the original question, keep our gaze on what? Now, obviously, you know where I'm going because you've read point number one, to keep our gaze, our focus on the fear of the Lord. But how do I get to that place? How do I get to a place where I'm thinking it's the fear of the Lord since it doesn't say it in the verse? Well, the way that I got there is we've got to take a step back a little bit, go back a few verses earlier in this section of Proverbs, this section of Proverbs chapter 4. If we go to verse 20, we get an indication of what Solomon is trying to say to his son. Starting in verse 20, he says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ears to my sayings, let them not escape your sight, keep them within your heart. Right, so here's Solomon, he's, he's writing to his son, he's like, listen, I want you to keep your eyes, I want you to keep them focused on my words and on my sayings. But then to take those words and those sayings and to put them, to keep them in your heart. Because what Solomon knows is that the words and the sayings, the wisdom and the truth that he's teaching his son is all just knowledge, it's all just head knowledge until it becomes a part of who you are. Until it pierces your heart and gets inside of you, it just stays up here. But if you can take that wisdom and you can have it moved into your heart, then that's where transformation happens. And what Solomon and the writers of Proverbs remind us over and over and over again is the way to do that is through the fear of the Lord. And we've talked about the fear of the Lord several times already in the series. I know Monty has, has talked about it. Phil talked about it last week. That the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of the Lord, running away from the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is this awe and reverence that we have for our holy God. It's having a, a correct perspective or a correct understanding of who we are in light of who our God is. Something that Phil said last week was it's a recognition of God's holiness, yet through Christ we can draw close to him. 
17 times in the book of Proverbs does the author say either fear the Lord or fear of the Lord. In fact, it's so important to the authors of Proverbs that they started at the beginning of the book in, in chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And to keep this, this principle in front of us, Solomon even adds it in chapter 9, which bookends this whole section. This section of Solomon writing this wisdom to his son. He starts it with fear of the Lord and he ends it in chapter nine also with fear of the Lord where he says in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And if that's not enough to drive the point home, even the whole book of Proverbs is bookended again with fear of the Lord. If we go to Proverbs 31 verse 30, where it talks about the woman of noble character. And it says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So here we have the book of Proverbs, this book of tremendous wisdom. But all throughout the book, there is this constant reminder that the way that this wisdom is transformative in our lives, the way that it gets into our hearts is if we walk in the fear of the Lord. Because if we walk in awe and of reverence of our holy God, then and only then does integrity become possible. So what causes us to fall? What causes us to take our eyes off or our gaze off the fear of the Lord and to put it into other places? What causes us to no longer look forward? And there's a lot of causes, but I think there's two foundational causes from which all others spring out of. When I first started this, I gave you a definition for integrity. I said it was sound character that adheres to strongly held biblical moral convictions. I included biblical in my definition on purpose. In fact, every other definition I looked at, whether it was a secular definition or it was a Christian definition, very similar to what I've given you, except every one of them did not include the word biblical. But I included it because this is where our convictions need to be spring out of. It needs to be where our convictions come from. Because if they don't come from there, then where do our convictions come from? Where do our moral convictions come come from. In this world, in this postmodern world where we currently live, what the world will tell us is that there is no absolute truth. There is nothing absolute to tell us where moral conviction should come from. In fact, it's all subjective as far as the world is concerned. What the world basically says is any moral standard that you have comes from you. It comes from within. You live out your truth, right? That's what the world tells us. But if, if I am the standard barrier bearer for morality, for my own life, if it looks like that, then we're going to have several issues. First and foremost is this. If I'm my own standard bearer for morality, then I'm going to walk in the truth of that standard. 
And I'm going to make decisions and I'm going to do things according to that. And that's not going to just affect me, but it's going to affect everybody I know, everybody I'm in relationship with. If likewise, you are living to, according to your own moral standards, and that affects the way that you live and the things that you do, when we come together and there's conflict there and there's going to be conflict because we're two different people with two different experiences, when that comes together in conflict, we now have an issue. And we have an issue with conflict enough as it is in this world where we can't even work through disagreements. But now we have a disagreement that's based on a moral absolute that we've decided for ourselves. And when my moral absolute butts up against your moral absolute, we get angry. We hate each other. Because I will defend a disagreement, but I will vehemently defend a moral absolute that you have violated. Vehemently. Sometimes people even defend it violently. And so it leads into this issue. A second issue that we run into is this. If we are the standard for morality, that just comes from us, then it's all built on shifting sands. It can change. It can change at the drop of a hat. What, what is today morally approvable for me, next week can become morally apprehensible. What I think is right today can change by next week or next month because as my experience change and my desires change, that affects what I consider my own moral standards. And so it's all built on shifting stance. But as we read through Proverbs and we read what Solomon is saying to his son, what he's saying is we need to look forward to something that is unchanging, that is unmovable. So we have to watch our gaze when it comes to our source of moral standards, but also we have to watch our gaze when it comes to what captures our worship. Regularly in the book of Proverbs, there's this contrast between walking in integrity and chasing after earthly riches. This contrast between being an in, a person of integrity and making money the primary focus. Because the issue with making anything else besides the fear of the Lord, the primary focus, the issue with that is we will do whatever it takes in order to reach our goal or to grasp that thing that we've made so important. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in his, in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in, an in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And Proverbs 19.22 says, What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar. What Proverbs is saying is, no matter what, you do not compromise your integrity. Even if it costs you greatly, you don't do it. In fact, it would be better for you to be materially poor and be a person of integrity than to get your riches by compromising. It's not saying that you can't be rich. It can't say that you can't have material wealth. But what it is saying is that you cannot go about getting it by compromising your integrity, by cutting corners, by being someone who is dishonest. 
It's no wonder that Jesus gives such a stern warning about this in Matthew chapter 6, where he says that we cannot serve two masters, for we'll love one and we'll despise the other. We can't serve both God and money. But the reality is, in this life that we're, that you, that we're currently living, we're going to regularly be put in situations where we have to decide who are we going to serve and where is our focus going to remain. A couple months ago, we were in a place where we needed or desired to buy a new vehicle. we just gotten a new driver in our house, a 16-year-old driver, so I can request that you pray for him and pray for everybody else on the streets. But more importantly, pray for his mother and her sleepless nights. And then you can also pray for our insurance bill, which is out of control. But we decided to buy this vehicle because he goes to school 30 minutes from our house. And it was worth the cost to save that time on the road for my wife and I each day. And so we decided we're going to buy this thing. And so we started researching. We figured out what kind of vehicle we wanted to buy. And then we jumped online and we kept on looking and looking and looking and looking for months because, as it turns out, vehicles are really expensive now. And we had a budget and we're trying to stay within that budget. So we're looking and looking. And finally, one day, I find the right vehicle. So the next morning, Tori and I drive down towards Chattanooga to go look at this thing. And we get there and we love it. So we decide to make the purchase. So we're there, and I've got the check, and I'm about to hand it to the gentleman who's selling it to me, and he's got the bill of sale, and he's got the title. And he says to me, I'm not going to put the sale price on these. You can make it whatever you want so you can save on the taxes. And I think, well, that's nice of him. I mean, that's, that's great. I mean, because I, I have a max budget, and I'm, I'm over it, and so it would be nice to save some money somewhere, so, so that's really nice of him. So a few days later, I'm at the house, and I'm about to go over to the county clerk, which everybody loves, so I can register this vehicle, and I'm going to fill out this paperwork. And so I get to the place where I've got to put in the sale price. And what my flesh is screaming to me is this, put in half the price. Because what I'm thinking is, well, I can't make it too low, because if I make it too low, it'll be suspicious, and the person at the registration office won't believe me, and then they'll question it, and then I'll get into trouble. But maybe if I put it halfway, it'll be believable, and it'll save me some money, and I'll put a little coin in my pocket, and I'll sort of stick it to the tax man who's overtaxing me anyway. <laughs> that's everything my flesh wants me to do. But the Spirit wants me to walk in integrity. The Spirit wants me to be honest. So I take a step back, and I pray... And then I fill out the documents with the correct sale price. And I go down to the county clerk and I pay and I pay the full tax amount. Now you might be saying, well, what does that matter? Who would even know? Who, who would know what you were putting down? And honestly, who's it hurting? It doesn't hurt anyone. But the truth is I know. I know I'm putting down the wrong thing. And more importantly, God knows that I'm putting down the wrong thing. And we can say it doesn't hurt anybody, but it does. And I'm not just talking about the good people of Tennessee who benefit from my tax dollars. The person who it hurts is me. It hurts me because compromising my integrity can become habitual. 
You know, people who, gymnasts who walk on the balance beam, they walk on it so often that it becomes muscle memory. They don't even have to think about it. They know how to walk. They know where to look. It's all muscle memory for them. I want the same thing in my life when it comes to my integrity. I want it to be muscle memory. So it's always my default position no matter what. But dishonesty, I can develop muscle memory in that also. And honestly, that's way easier. It's way easier for me to develop muscle memory in that than it is for me to do it in integrity. That doesn't mean that I'm always perfect. There are mistakes that are made. But I'm learning. And what I want for my life and what I want for all of us is the ability to consider what Scripture says about integrity and then to look at our own lives and then to bring those things into alignment. And when we keep our focus on the fear of the Lord instead of looking to the right or the left, then our path starts to become more clear. And that brings us to point number two, which is we must keep our feet on the way of wisdom. Verse 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This word ponder here, what it means is consider, but it doesn't just mean consider. It also can mean to clear out or to level. And so the picture you get here when it says to ponder is is to ponder the path, to consider the path that is clear and the path that is level. Imagine with me for a second that you're on a hike and on your hike you come to a fork in the path and on one side there's this overgrown path that's covered with poison ivy and quicksand and wolves, right? Right? And on the other path, it's clear and it's level, right? So you ponder, you consider, and then the path you take is the clear and level path, right? What you don't do is this. You don't come the quicksand path and ponder, how do I walk on this path so that I don't fall into quicksand and I don't get poison ivy? Because in essence, what you're saying when you do that is, How do I walk on the path of sin and keep myself from getting hurt by it? Right? That's not what we're pondering. That's not what we're considering. What we're considering is the right path. Now, when we walk in the way of wisdom, most of the time, we should be choosing right paths. But sometimes we do not. Now, maybe the main reason why we do not, unfortunately, is with willful disobedience. It's not that we don't know about the clear and level path. It's not like we don't know what God instructs us or what his word has to say, but we choose the more dangerous path. We choose it because there's something else motivating us, whether it be sex or greed or money or power or fear or anger or revenge. All those things draw us into the quicksand, poison, ivy, wolf path. But when we find ourselves in that place, what we have to do is go back to point number one, which is where is your focus? Is it on the fear of the Lord or is it on something else? Another thing that causes us to walk on the wrong path is just ignorance. We simply don't know what the word says or we don't know how to apply it in our lives. 
Now, the simple solution to that is, well, we should read our Bibles more and we should study it more. And that's true, but there's more to it than that. Because as we're reading our Bibles and as we're studying his word, we need to ponder and consider what the truth of what the, what, what the Bible says, how that can be applied to all these paths that we normally come up to in, as we walk in our life. This path and this path and this path. How does the truth of God's word impact it? How does it affect it? It's the combination of knowledge and application. Because that's the way of wisdom, knowledge and application. And when we walk with knowledge and application, what happens is we develop convictions. So I live my life, I read the Bible, I study it, and I want to know what the Bible has to say about things like lying or pornography or alcohol or drugs or modesty or curse words or gossip. Like I want to know what it says, but then I want to have convictions about these things. And not just any old convictions or worldly convictions, I want to have biblical convictions. And I want to work out those biblical convictions beforehand, before I ever get to those paths. That way, I can choose the right path, the one that's clear and level with confidence, instead of staring at my options in trepidation. So, for instance, I have convictions surrounding alcohol. And those convictions inform how often and how much and with who and when and where and all of those things. And my convictions and my boundaries surrounding those things may differ from yours. And that's okay. We can have some differences there and we can acknowledge some gray area there as long as we both have a healthy understanding of alcohol. We don't have sinful attitudes towards it, and our convictions are biblically informed. But because I have these convictions and because I have these boundaries, when my convictions are tested and I know that they're going to be con contested or tested, I know that I can continue to walk in integrity because I already know the path. I've already pondered it, and I am committed to that path. So I don't find myself falling. Now, do I do it every time? No, probably not. But a vast majority of the time, I'm able to walk in integrity because I know the path. When we walk in integrity, it's pleasing to God. It's honoring to him because we bring consistency in our lives, consistency between our actions and our speech and our heart. Solomon writes in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 16, he says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, which, have to do, which has to do with the pride of our heart. A lying tongue, which is our speech. And hands that shed innocent blood, which is our actions. A heart that devises wicked plans, again, back to the heart. Feet that make haste to run to evil, again, our actions. And a false witness who breathes out lies, our speech. And one who sows discord among brothers probably has to do with all three of those. It's not a comprehensive list of all the things the Lord despises, but it is a representative list of the things that God hates, and it makes it clear that God hates when we lack character and integrity. Our integrity honors God. And according to Proverbs, our integrity also brings blessings in our own life. Proverbs 28.20 20 says that a faithful man will abound in blessings. And then throughout Proverbs, it gives us examples of that. 
Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. A person who has a good name, a person who walks in integrity, finds favor with people in his community because everybody wants to deal with someone who's honest and trustworthy. 22.11 says, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as a friend. Right? People want to be friends with someone who walks in integrity including people that, that everybody views in a, in a place of high esteem, are drawn to someone who walks in integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his, in, in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And when it says righteous here, what it's implying is this person is a believer, this person is saved. And so not only is his children and his family being blessed by the fact that he walks in integrity so he's dependable and he's trustworthy. They, they, they benefit from that, but they also benefit from his walk. Because he walks in integrity, it is attractive to his family. It's attractive to the people around him. And to see the way that he walks out his faith and it draws people not only to him, but it draws people to the Lord. And that's a blessing to your family around you. And then finally in Proverbs 11, 11, it says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Because an upright person, a person who walks in integrity, says and does things that are a blessing to the community in which he lives. So now what are we supposed to do with all of this? Every time we come together for a sermon, we share so much and there's always a lot to consider. And today is no different. We need to consider you know, we've just, we've just learned, we've just seen that the way to walk in wisdom as a person of integrity is to keep our focus on the fear of the Lord and to keep our feet on the path of wisdom. And when we do that, we honor God and it brings blessings into our life. And this morning, what I want us to consider is point number one, where our focus is. I want us to take a few minutes to consider what we've been focusing on today and this week and this past month. Has our focus been on the fear of the Lord? Has our focus been taken away and been placed on something else? Have we turned our feet to the right or to the left? Is it possible that we've turned our feet toward evil? What I want us to do this morning is take some time and I want us to consider where our focus has been and then take the next step. Make this a little bit more concrete. And write down on your notes or on the back of your notes, wherever your focus has been, write it down. So this week you can come back and as you look at your notes, you can be reminded and be drawn back to prayer. So this morning, I'm going to take some time, consider where your focus has been, and then pray. Pray that either the Lord helps you to keep your focus on him, or pray that the Lord would bring your focus back to where it needs to be. Let's do that now.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and for your instruction. Thank you for leading us today. And I pray, Lord, for, for all of us, each and every one of us, that today and this week and moving forward, that we would be people who would walk in integrity, that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to be focused on the fear of the Lord. And as we're focused on that, Lord, as we walk in that, Lord, that it would direct our path, it would direct our steps so that we wouldn't turn to the right or to the left, but that we would continue to move forward. Continue to move forward in the way of wisdom, pursuing you and seeking after you, Lord. Lord, we, we love you and care for you. We're grateful for what you're doing in our lives, how you're moving in our hearts and through us, Lord. Please be with us and guide us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.